Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. Back after a relatively pedestrian week, uh, today is Sunday, January 30th. We are recording this at 9 in the morning. So the Providence-Marquette rescheduled game has not happened yet. We're going to talk about Providence and Marquette in this podcast, but just note to the listeners, we haven't seen this game you will have by the time that you listen to this. Um, so Rob, how are you doing and what are you drinking today? Well, it is nine o'clock in the morning. Um, I have my coffee because it's nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, for our listeners, I do have our Woodford Reserve. I've got to get that sponsorship money, baby. Give me that NL, NIL cash. Here we go. Um, I'm debating whether I'm actually going to drink this or not. I haven't come to a conclusion yet. You I did not. A, you put a cube in it. You kind of have to drink. Well, it. I figured otherwise it doesn't have like any clinking. So, you know what? I'll give it, I'll give it a little sip. I did not partake in dry January. I did very much the opposite. So I have yeah. nothing to stop me here other than the fact that it's nine o'clock in the morning. I feel a little bit like an alcoholic. At this point. I was going to end dry January last night. We were supposed to go into the city, watch the game, with friends and whatever. Oh, Rob just took a sip. He's, he's excited now. Um, we're supposed to watch a game with friends. And I was like, you know what? I did four weeks of this. That's the spirit of the, that's the spirit of the thing. Yeah. And then, and then we didn't. And then so I was just like, well, now I'm just going to drink for the sake of drinking. So I, I'm out. So I'm staying dry again today. This is the last dry last podcast, one. last dry podcast for, for me. Um, Source but, to say, but you haven't decided yet. So. Uh, oh, good point. Tom, Tom Brady reference. Tom Brady. Yeah, reference. Very, very good. Tom Brady. Very timely <laughs> reference. Rob. All right. So. I said, I said from the jump, this is just not a memorable week. This was kind of like our most pedestrian week in Biggie's play and probably the last pedestrian week that we will have the rest of the season because our February slate is loaded and it starts this week. So we'll do a brief recap on the games that just happened. We'll talk a lot about Big East and national narratives. And then, and then we got to do a big preview for the games to come, which is Marquette on Wednesday at like a million o'clock at night. And oh my and then, god, I didn't realize that. Holy cow! And then, and then UConn at the Wells Fargo Center on Saturday, which is an enormous game, and I think I'm going to go to. So yeah, huge. All right, let's jump in. Let's do it. The number one news from this week actually happened off the court. Unfortunately, um, we learned kind of like behind the scenes, so to speak. Someone just asked a question and we learned that Antoine rolled his ankle in practice. And as a result of that- In, in other words, the sun came up and Ryan <laughs> Antoine was hurt. Yeah, unfortunately. And so, and so he, he's injured. It was a, he was ruled to be questionable um, according <laughs> to Jay, but he, he was Which DNP. I, I, think, I think the actual wording was like, he might be questionable or something like that, which is like, that's, that's not a status. Like, is he questionable or is he not questionable? He's not questionable to be questionable, but anyway. This is killer because he was literally just coming on. Like the DePaul yeah. game, he was, he was awesome. He was awesome in the DePaul game. Um, he made some really good plays. He was involved in the offense. And I was really like, okay, well, now we got Antoine. Now we're going to roll. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden, boom! It rolls his ankle in practice. It's just like the story with this guy, and I feel so terrible for him. Like you yeah. got to feel for the kid. It's it's ridiculous. Um, do we know anything about it? I mean, I'm hopeful. Might be questionable means it's not going to be a long term thing. I am I, I am reading the same thing into it as you are. I, I think that there's a chance that he plays this week, um, but then again. My view on it was Slater was probably Slater played, but wasn't right for yeah. a, a, like a long portion of this month. So, so I, I don't know what we're going to get out of Antoine, even if he can play, even if he can give it a go. So terrible. I mean, ankles are terrible. So, so ankles and knees, you don't want to hurt those things. So like, I, I'm just, you know, I feel for the kid, but nevertheless, we pressed on. We did. Um, 
and and we can talk about this like right now. Let's talk about the bench this yeah this yeah. week. Let's do and it. I'll pose a question that we posed already. Is the bench minutes narrative over yet? We keep asking this question. Are we done with this narrative? I think we're getting close. <laughs> I think we're getting close. We've been getting close for a while. I, but I, I think yesterday, so yesterday was an interesting one for me because you had, um, because you had Antoine out. So the natural question next man up as it has been in the rotation has been to go to Longino, right? So I was like, all right, what's going to happen here? Is Jay actually going to allocate the minutes to Longino or is he going to tighten up a little bit? And maybe it's a result of who we were playing and how the game was going. But the good thing is that Longino got 20 minutes at the end of the day, which for all, like by all definition, like that's a, that's a healthy load of minutes for, you know, our seventh man. And then Arch picked up another 13 minutes. So like, that to me is a pretty good indication. Now, if we're getting to the point where Antoine comes back and Antoine's getting, you know, 20-ish minutes and Longino's getting 10 plus, I think that to me is like, that's a pretty much a yes. I think we've kind of sorted through and gotten to more of a, a reasonable steady state, if you will. So I don't think we're quite there yet, but some signs that, we're continuing to trend in the right direction. And the key word being trust with Jay Wright, there seems to be a little bit more trust in Jordan Longino. And I will say with every minute that he's on the court, you do see the comfort level going up and up and up. He's starting to show a lot more why he was a top recruit and absolutely slotting into the offense. Seems in control, comfortable with the ball in his hands. And yesterday made some great shots. Yeah, I mean, two, two, for, two or three from deep yesterday for Longino. I mean, if he's plugging in and hitting and hitting three-pointers, that's huge for the team. It's awesome. Um, I, I agree with your general take here. The, the bench minutes narratives, in my opinion, though, just to just call it out, like doesn't go away until the week coming up. Jay plays mm, the bench, mm, right? Mm. Like if in this upcoming week versus Marquette and UConn, Jay allows for some depth from the bench in yeah. Longino, Antoine, if he's available, obviously Daniels is from the bench, but I don't think anyone, everyone thinks of him kind of like a six starter, but he's technically right. bench minutes. Right. Um, and, and if it has to be Arch or, or, or even like we saw a flash of Patterson for a, a, like a little bit, like if Jay continues to utilize that bench, this week versus yeah. the two teams that we're playing, I that's a good point. That's then a good point. I will put the narrative to bed. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's relative to the competition. Cause this week you can be like, Oh yeah, I played them, but it was DePaul and St. John's like, who really cares. Right. Ex that's exactly my point. Yeah, totally. Fair. Um, so talking a little bit about the individual games, I, I thought, I thought the DePaul game, it was uh, like, what stood out to me. I, we talked about the bench, 10 guys played Patterson scored 60 minutes, basically off the bench. That's huge. Um, and then we had nice, uh, nice steady kind of win throughout the game. Like we, we, yeah. we there was a great article that Brendan Riley put out um, uh, from VU Hoops a, a week ago. And it had a lot to do with, um, had a lot to do with, you know, are we winning the first and fourth quarter? Basically kind of like what's inside the, these, these late game collapses. And a couple of things stood out in the very early part of the game we also struggled in games in which we gave it away late. That seemed to be a, a consistent theme that he observed in his analysis. Uh, and, and I thought that was a very interesting point. And basically what he surmised was that if we get down early, Jay, Jay restricts the minutes to get the game, to get mm -hmm, back in mm -hmm. the game. Then yeah. we build a lead and then late the guys run out of gas. Yeah. I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but that's kind of what's behind it. So it's critical that Villanova jumps on teams early or at least doesn't get jumped out of the game. Yeah. I mean, let's not read into this this week too much. To your point, these are uneventful games. These are two bad teams. Like DePaul is one and nine in conference. So yeah. one and nine in conference and we're missing their best player. So if we didn't come out of the game and jump on them and maintain that lead, that would be a huge cause for concern relative to even what we've been talking about. 
Totally agree. My only comment back to that was we did not do that versus Georgetown a week ago and true, I took true, true, race true. back into the game. So yeah, at the totally very fair. least, at the very least, I want to see it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then next week we could talk about did Show it happen you against can do it. Yeah. good teams. <laughs> yeah, that's so, totally fair. So I agree. Uh, Unders- understand the concept, apply it to better competition. Cool. Yes. <laughs> Got it. So then, so then St. John's kind of building on that. St. John's is better than DePaul um, and had their full complement of players. Uh, St. John's was, did come out to try and put punches in the mouth. I didn't think that we looked all that great coming out of the, coming out of the gate. And there was some like, you know, noise on Twitter being like, Hey, what's going on here. But by the time we got to 10 minutes left in the first half, we were dead even with them. So all in all, I think like, yeah, they came punches in the mouth. We, we, we withstood that punch and then kind of got settled into the game. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't think it was the same. And Jay used the, de- the the depth that he had available. I thought he used it really well. I thought um, Longino, uh, Samuels was in some foul trouble. I thought Longino and Archie Diacono and obviously Caleb was awesome off the bench. We need to yeah. talk a little bit about Caleb yes, in a second. Absolutely. Um, but I thought I thought Arch played great yesterday. And we've talked about this. Arch as an eighth nine guy, eighth ninth man is awesome <laughs> great to have absolutely at 100 like he's I, i'm i'm stretching here so listener base needs to really caveat what i'm about to say but if you think back to what the role colin played in 2018 he was coming in for like 10 minutes a game was basically like here's a guy we can put the ball in his hands he probably won't turn it over and maybe he hits a shot or two like that was colin's role and right. that was totally good that was the role he needed to play Arch is very similar. Hey, we need a few minutes. We're going to put the ball in your hands. Don't fuck it up. He's not as good at hitting the shots, but he provides you some of that, some of those similar capabilities. So I'm on board with it. That's checking the box for me. Look, if Arch, if you tell me that in, in most games, like his, his stat line was in thir- 13 minutes yesterday, he, he scored five points, um, had two assists and committed zero turnovers. Like, yeah, sign me up. Great. Totally agree. That's an awesome stat line for your eighth or for your ninth man. Yeah. Right. 100%. It's an incredible stat line for your ninth yeah. man. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, against a team that presses. And overall, I thought we handled the pressure really well. And by the way, we have struggled against teams that pressed us and yeah. really got into our grill um, throughout this season. Baylor did it. We, we, we struggled with that. Xavier in the second half did it. We struggled with that. Georgetown did it. And we struggled with that. Marquette really did it. And we it, struggled yeah. with that. So we've struggled with this. St. John's probably is the one that does it the most as part of their, like, um, as part of who they are. Yeah. And we handled it really well. I mean, Posh Alexander was just, just came out nominated for like um, national defensive player of the year. So like he is um, obviously a, like a, a Hawk defender and he, and, and we handled that very well. 11 turnovers in the game was great. Yeah. Can we talk just real quick about this? Cause we were, we were slacking about this yesterday. So we have this thing. It's very much like a known thing. Villanova is slow to inbound the ball, right? Oh, we got to talk about this. I assume I assume this is, you know, I, I've assumed for years this is, it does a couple things. One, if you're up, it salts the clock away, right? It just like runs the clock down. Two, allows your guys to get set a little bit. And three, it kind of allows whoever the inbounder is to survey the court and kind of think about where they're going. So like I get the rationale for it. The past few games, though, and this game, it's become particularly, and we've gotten away with it for years and years and years, which I'm not quite sure how. Um, the past few games, it's become a little bit more egregious to me. And yesterday, Slater even got whistled for it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what is, do you have any sense of, like, what's going on here? Because it's it's so bad. Usually, somebody will start to initiate the inbounds process where they'll go in the out-of-bounds area and be like, hey, I'm waiting for somebody to give me a ball. Slater was actively refusing to go into the zone to initiate it was yes. refusing the ball from the referee and got blown for it, yeah. which was, I was like, what the fuck is happening here, guys? Like <laughs> he got a warning. He got a warning. He got a warning. He got yeah. a warning, but it was like, it was like, yeah, enough, enough. So, so this is interesting. So what Rob is referring to just to be a little bit more specific when the player, when the, when the, when our, when our guy touches the ball out of bounds to inbound the ball, a five second clock starts, right? By the way, except for the last minute of the, of the second half, the clock does not stop after right. made buckets. So the clock, the, the game clock keeps running. Then there's a referee um, five second countdown to inbound the basketball. What Rob is talking about, but even before that starts, 
we don't get on the other side of the of the of the out of bounds line to even inbound the ball and we just kind of like lollygag over to 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 get it started what ends up happening is that three seconds or so continue to expire yeah so what ends up happening is that like a possession that is supposed to take about 30 seconds max right ends up getting stretched out to like 35 seconds when you factor in the slowness to walk over to the ball and the time taking to inbound the ball we stretch out that like and we've been doing this for like seven years um like all in this golden era like villanova's done this especially against teams that press that are looking to create runs i think it's a momentum killer um for the other for the opposition and it kind of gets in their head a little bit like i i've seen jay do this now for like seven years it's clearly coached in it's not it's it's not yeah there's 100%. no debate. This is not just like, oh, our players just decide to. No, this is a tactic. This is a tactic. And Jay is like basically like taking advantage of and squeezing every second out of he can to slow the tempo down. And we are like number like 355 out of 358 teams in tempo this year. Right. Um, so it just comes across even more egregious this year. Um, and I would love, to, I don't know how you could potentially without watching every single game for the last seven years, but I'd love to know how many collective minutes we've salted off the game in that like little window before yeah. we pick up the ball and the five second clock starts. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's and, crazy though. And inbound the ball, like it's crazy. Yeah. It's, I don't know. So anyway, it was, it, yes, it just seems the past few games has gotten egregious, like just refusing to do it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with it. But I, I don't know. The refs seem to be having a, a little bit less of a uh, less of a leash with it. I will say. Yeah, forward, I, so. I think I think you're right. I think, and I think if a if a if an op- opposing team is really smart, like, and they've done really good advanced scouting, they got to be on the referees from the get go. To totally. Like call delay a game. Like they could call a technical foul on us. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, it, it's very interesting. It's clearly a tactic, and it continues to work. <laughs> it, it does. So anyway, I just want to bring that up. I thought it was, I thought that was weird. Um, uh, I want to talk about St. John's for a second. Uh, this is a team that was supposed to like kind of get back onto the NCAA bubble this year and like was talked about on the bubble last year, didn't quite get there. Um, and was supposed to, with a lot of key pieces returning, especially Julian Champagny and, and Pasha Alexander was supposed to make, you know, a run this year at the NCAAs. This team's a mess. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they just make like mistakes left and right. Like, I, like, they put it together for Seton Hall uh, earlier this week and like blew the doors off of Seton Hall. And we'll get into the Seton Hall narrative in a second, but like, like this team, I, I can't figure out like what, what the deal is. Like I, I talking to some of their media members and whatever, like even just through DMS, um, like they're, he, they're very, they're very frustrated with how this yeah. team plays. Yeah. The fan base is not happy. There are definitely some calls for, uh, I mean, Mike Anderson's been there. What this is his second year, I guess. Yeah, so he's got some leash, but like, but like, it's just unusual to see a team this undisciplined. Yeah, and with with to the to your point, like with those two players, like those are two really good players to have on your team that you know are probably the caliber of of players that a DePaul has basically like not had in kind of the past decade. Who would kill to have one of those players on their team, let alone both of those players on their team? I say Paul Reed, but whatever. Um, so point being like, they should be doing more than, than what they have right now. So I'm yeah. with you, but anyway, yeah. it's not a St. John's podcast. Ball. No, it's not a St. John's podcast. Ball. I was just, just pointing that out, but yeah. it was just like very, very odd. Yeah. Um, a couple other narratives around, around the St. John's game. And we're going to bring in both uh, some of our, some of our uh, people here. We're going to bring in producer Brian for a second. And we're going to bring in our social media manager, Rachel, for a second. Yeah, they got some commentary, uh, a very funny commentary on just like what happened. So like, I'll tee up Brian first. Villanova announces like very half-assedly that they're going to do a light blue out yesterday. Now, credit when credit's due. I thought the visual aesthetic of light blue versus St. John's red looked very cool, uh, very pleasing on the eye to watch. But none of the fans picked up on this light blue out thing. It was an absolute disaster. Um, and it kind of reminded me of when we were on campus, Rob, of like, just like poorly run things that don't go well oh because God. it was totally half-assed. I don't, I don't think there was like ever an effective execution of like an in-game 
marketing Bri- things. Brian, you were at the game. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about like what, what you saw there. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to think of myself as active on social media and I follow the main accounts and I learned about the light blew out when I packed the fin from the person sitting next to me. He said, oh, you forgot your light blue. And I was like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, oh, it's, it's embarrassing. Like they, they announced um, it was a light blue out. And I thought it was actually more embarrassing for him. He's in his like mid sixties and he was yeah. one of 300 people wearing light blue. Now the students seem to be like half in light blue, half in just regular clothes. Um, but it, I guess one announcement you said, Chris, I still haven't seen it. I didn't go back in the archives or anything, but like I probably would have worn a light blue shirt had I have known. So I think you kind of have to give a couple days buildup if you're the you're the athletic department there. It's just it's just terrible though because it's not like everybody has a light blue shirt. So if you're to do this, you got to provide light blue clothing. Like yeah. I'm lo- I'm looking at my closet right now. I don't I don't know what I would pick out for a light blue out. Yeah. Like I'd either have to go out and get something or be like, oh, I hope they're going to give me a shirt. Like I'm probably showing up in in this like a dark blue shirt. Well, I think the other problem with Villanova is it's, it's an older fan base, especially on campus. So a lot of those people might have to go to the dry cleaner. So you need to build in three or four days for people true. to plant. True. Um, I can I can envision this exchange too. And this this typical like six-year-old, oh, that's embarrassing. Like total judgmental tone of like typical Villanova fan. I just, oh God. Right. And it's a person I, I had fun with. So it, it, was a, it was a common jest. But I mean, I think when I hit him that he should be embarrassed. I think it kind of it kind of struck him to the core. <laughs> $70,000 a year. The tickets cost a bajillion dollars. Um, robs you blind. And they can't put a shirt for every person in the stands. Give me a shirt. Like, come on. Get, you get a sponsor. On. If you're going to do $0. something, if you're going to do something, do it. Yeah. Right? Like, do it. Do it. And then the second thing that we want to talk, talk about, I'm going to tee up Rachel on this, is the announcers um, for Fox uh, yesterday left a lot to be desired. And that's kind of a common theme that, we, that we've seen. Um, and, and look, there was a couple things that I thought were funny. Like they, they brought up Eric Dixon's favorite band was Maroon 5. I fact-checked that uh, quickly um, with his dad on Twitter yesterday. And his dad confirmed that it's the only band that he listened to, <laughs> but, that his favorite, but that his favorite artist is Lil Uzi Vert. So, so what a, what a dumb question. Like who's your favorite band? Like who even talks like that? It's just, and, and then like, there was a whole conversation about Colin and drinking milk. Um, like what, what, what milk does Colin drink? Like, okay. Like, such so, a such an odd it's so weird such a weird thing but but rachel what what really bothered you about the fox announcers yesterday there were there were a couple things actually because it's fox let's be real <laughs> if, we're, if we're if we're not commenting on the giant lower third graphic that just blocks half the screen when you're trying to watch it like yes. it's the announcers being just garbage so first yesterday obviously tom brady big news or not big news may or may not have retired. Nobody seems to know except for Tom Brady, which fair. So, but by the time the the announcers in the second half got to the point of like talking about something totally unrelated to Villanova basketball, because it was just clear that St. John's had no shot at winning, they bring up Tom Brady. Um, And they're talking about how he's the GOAT and he retired. And I really just wonder about the producer who let this happen because Tom Brady and his father at that point had put out statements saying, I didn't say that. Like I haven't confirmed that or made a decision. So um, in that respect, like they should have known that was just like a really big fumble, no pun intended there, but like it was a big fumble. Um, Yeah. Thanks. Thanks Rob. The other (laughs) thing that I found absolutely hilarious was there was a point at the second half where St. John's was down about like 15 and the announcers get all hype because St. John's makes it to the line and the clock is stopped and they have a chance to score some points with the clock stopped, which in overall basketball strategy, if you're down, that's a good thing to do. It's stop the clock and score some (laughs) points. Yeah, score points. In case any listeners are new to the sport of basketball, that's the right thing to do. So the announcers are like really high on St. John's doing this. They're like, oh, like what a great, what a great opportunity. They really need to score points, blah, 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 whatever. Like this is, this is great for St. John's, especially because they're down big. St. John's immediately misses 
the, the free as, as they did all game as they did, as they game. did yeah as they did all game they i don't think they made more than three but so literally the next play the next time villanova inbounds the ball they get to the line and the announcers just reverse what they said about St. John's for Villanova. And they're like, oh, it's so important when you're up big to like, you got the clock stopped, you can get some rest and you can score some points like no, like without really working that hard. And I was just like, what? So what you're what, saying what was, is- What was the point of this? Like what, like, I don't understand why this is like, are we just agreeing in general that in basketball, it is good to score points to the clock? Yes. Stop? Because yes. like, that's a generally good. Free throws are good. Free throws are good. That's the narrative. Boom. Love it. It just was, it was just, it was just a really long winded way to make a strange point that didn't really land. I, I, I will say, I feel like these announcers, one Fox announcers are terrible, like all the time. Well, what's funny is Donnie Marshall's usually pretty good. Like, yeah. Yeah. But like, sorry, I just want to point that no, out. No, no, no. It, yeah, it's fine. I do think there's an element of like, I think these producer or these announcers get a little bit bored during these games too. Cause like we said, like it was a pretty uneventful week as like fans watching the game. So I have to imagine, you know, Villanova's up 20. It's kind of like, fuck are we going to talk about for the next 20 minutes? Cause like when Nicole and I were watching the game, we're like, there's still 10 minutes left in this. Like, Oh my God. Like I thought this game has been over. There's like a few minutes left. It just dragged and dragged. I mean, this, is, this brings me to another point that I've always needed. I think there should be a mercy rule in basketball yes, where if like you get totally. to like five minutes left in the game and there's no chance for the other team to win. It should just be over yes. and like save everybody an extra five minutes. hundred percent agree with this. It's I'm an interesting, it's an board. interesting point. Uh, like uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump off of this for, for, for a second, but um but there's a guy, Eric Haslam, who has a, he has a similar thing to Ken Palm. It's called Haslam Metrics. But basically, Ken Palm basically puts all of the data for the entire game in, into his model, and it calculates that. So if you just keep running up the score, like, you get more, like, I don't want to say Ken Palm points, but you get my point. Like, you have more Ken Palm cred yeah. as a result of that. Haslam actually has a feature called Analytically Final. So basically, mm. if a game gets out of hand and there's not enough time for the op- opposition to salt to, to win the to kind of come back and win the game, the game goes analytically final, and everything that happens after that doesn't count for Ooh, purposes like of a thing. This would have helped us back in like 2015 when we were running up the score on absolutely everybody, and yeah. Ken Palm had us as like super good and whatever to like know what Haslam said because because we huh. ran up, we ran up the score so much on teams late in games in in a couple of those years. It would have been better to have that reality check. That's I like that. That's a, that's a cool stat. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, that's pretty uh, neat. I want to hit the free throw point though yeah. because narrative on the season for Villanova. So jumping back into the cats. Um, narrative on the season for Villanova is we're like potentially going to be the best free throw shooting team of all time. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, which is kind of crazy because early on in the season, I almost put as a narrative point, like we suck at free throw shooting relative yeah. to Villanova teams. But then what happens is, is if you hit all your free throws or only miss one free throw for like seven games in a row, which we've been doing in January, like we, 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 we it's crazy we have like we're shooting like 82 percent from the line this year yeah what in the record was like 83 or something like that or something like that yeah, yeah. so we're like we're right around it which is really nuts and it is records aside to the fox announcers points it is really important for us especially as we get into these late close games come tournament time so ideally we continue this and it'll uh it'll benefit us in the long term. And I will say too, like every, the good thing is like kind of everybody can hit the free throws inherently when you're shooting this well as a team, like it means most everybody can hit it, which gives you another advantage when people start to foul you. There's not one person they can necessarily, the opponent can necessarily key on to say, Hey, get this guy on the line, do a little hack-a-shack approach. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. The guys I trust least from the line are Samuels and Slater, but yeah, even then they're still shooting pretty well from the line. It's not like everyone's doing poorly. Like, yeah. Like if you're t- as a team, you're shooting 82%. Like no one's doing bad. Nobody sucks. Yeah. Um, Dixon continues to uh, be awesome at drawing awesome. lane violations. Oh drawing lane violations is, is just, he's just incredible. It's, I don't know what the record is on that, but he's, he's got to be close to it. I have yeah. to imagine. I'm sure like, that's not a record kept, but like he probably has it. I really need to know if this is a thing that gets like, that gets captured in the box score. Because I bet if I went and watched the games, I think he's done this a dozen times. 
whether he's yeah. hit the free throw or not, he's had to have done this a, a dozen times. Yeah. Um, and 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 it, I said this before. It's kind of like a, a lefty pitcher uh, with a really good pickoff move because uh, he doesn't yeah. cross the line of it being a balk, right? Yeah. <laughs> of it being like a of it being an up fake on a free throw, but. It's close. <laughs> it's close. It's close. And it worked to his favor yesterday. He missed the one and he got it back. And then he made the, he made the, the redo. I love it. Bad. I love it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. Let's just stay on the narrative topic. Yeah. Three-point shooting. You and I had a debate. Is this team a good three-point shooting team or not? Yeah. Um, I took, you took the side of no. I took the side of not yet. Yeah. Uh, that was a couple of weeks ago. Where do we stand now? What do you think? I mean, look, last two games, obviously it's been much improved. I'm going to, I'm going to hold judgment on this one. It's similar to how you were holding judgment on the narrative point, because the point that I made earlier when we had this debate was that we've been effective at hitting three point shots against bad teams. Did not debate that we did it early in the season. And it was only when we started to play better opponents that we saw the three point shooting percentage go down this week. We shot stellar. We shot 44 and like 45% or 48%, whatever it was, which if we hit that great shape, again, this competition, lower level. So I'm still withholding judgment. If we do it again this week, then I can start to say, okay, there's a few more data points. I'm starting to get more comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, that's where my head's at. What are you thinking? I, I hold on to what I'm saying. I think, I think, look, three-point shooting is a little different to me than, um, than Jay playing the bench. Um, like, against you can, if, if you start to get hot, like, sometimes people say, like, oh, like, you know, get a couple games against some weaker competition. You'll start getting the flow of your offense better. You'll start shooting the ball a little better. I think these guys have gained confidence. Um, you know, this week, Slater hit a three. Samuels hit a three this week. Like, I think like nine guys hit threes uh, this, this week or eight, eight guys hit threes this week. So for me, I think we've built confidence. At, I'm looking forward to this week. So I agree with your point. Like, let's see what happens against better competition. Yeah, I'm inclined. I'm inclined to think we will yeah. uh, build, build upon these performances. So that's right. I'm going with, we I'm shall see. With. We shall see. Uh, sticking narrative. We got to talk Caleb Daniels. Um, so, so I'm not at the point of collecting on, on this yet, but there was a lot of people who slandered Caleb late last year and early this year. And it's just a warning to everybody that I will be coming. If this pattern of behavior continues, I will be coming to collect on your mea culpas for hating on Caleb and slandering Caleb this year. That's what, just just calling it out. He's turning into an excellent, excellent sixth man for Villanova. Yeah, he's he's almost there. I was looking at his game log the past few games, and we've obviously talked about him having a few solid games. There's a still a little bit more variability than I want to see. Like as the sixth man, I want him routinely in that like nine to ten point range. Which listener reaction may be like that's a lot to ask for from your sixth man. Which I agree, yes, it is. I think the difference is he doesn't necessarily play the sixth man role from an offensive contribution standpoint, because we're basically getting nothing from Slater these days. And I'm not expecting much from Slater. And frankly, Samuels has high variability as well. So I look for Caleb to more consistently contribute that nine and 10 point range. And I think, I think in Biggie's play in four of nine games, I think it was, he's had double digit uh, scoring outputs, which is great, but I just want to get him. He's also had some like, five three-point games i want to get him a little bit more regularly up there once he's more consistently contributing that nine ten point range i'm going to feel like he is 100 percent doing his job but absolutely loving the direction we're trending and what i'm seeing the confidence he's playing with the control he's showing is a lot better than what he had what we had seen last year and certainly even in the first part of the season too also the defensive part so the other side of the ball like and you mentioned yeah. control like this, that's, that's this what guy, i was getting at, this yeah. guy was a foul a foul Ab- crazy absolutely. person last absolutely. year and hurt us a lot with his fouls, both on offensive fouls. He was always good for one. Insane. Insane. And, and then, and then committed a lot of fouls guarding with his hands instead of his feet. And this year he's been awesome at this. So yeah. I love it. I, again, as I said, to your point about consistency, I'm not yet collecting on the mea culpas, but just, um, this is a flop warning for everybody. Your take is looking like it's a flop. And so I am getting ready to collect on this. <laughs> fair enough 
Um, in terms of Samuels and Slater, um, again, yeah, yeah, it's I, it's a it's a narrative. It's a narrative. Slater. I mean, look, we talked about the injury thing, but again, another. He had five points today. His last like eight games, it's like five, three, two, three, two, three. It's just you you can't expect much offensively at this point for me, he whether looked, it's an injury or what. I, I don't. He looked much more active yesterday, so I'm hopeful that this injury is healing. And he did hit a three in the last game. So again, a couple things that I'm seeing that may be trending towards positive things for Slater, but I'm really stretching this. Like yeah, if you're, I was going to say, shaking, I think Rob yeah. shaking his head. I'm stretching this. I'm yeah, trying really to stretching. find. I'm trying to find that diamond in the rough with Slater right now. Yeah, um, that's, I think you're you're grasping at, at straws here. A little bit. I, I'm not going to lie. And then Samuels is uh, he had he had a, a January to forget. Uh, just to call, other than that Georgetown game, the January to forget. I mean, I, I think he's like a Seton Hall player at this point. Like with how bad his January was. It's um, truth. Truth. <laughs> Oh, but God. but we're entering Germanuary. So, so that was the term Brian coined it. February is Germanuary. This is the time. We can we can time. only hope because it is it has not been has not been great. I mean, you, you brought up you have Caleb before, and Caleb's basically become this team's fourth offensive option. Yeah, like they cannot be. It 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 shouldn't be. No. It shouldn't be. But that's kind of where we are, unfortunately. And I think that's. You know, again, Jermaine continues to have these flashes of 15, 18 point games. Like it could happen, but you just can't count on it. And they're just like, they're literally games of zero and two interspersed there. It's like, okay. He's just like two and like four fouls. And like, he's just so indecisive. Like like he's taking drives and he's kind of like up faking a lot, but he's just drawing a ton of defenders. And sometimes that's good if he can pass out of that, but he's not. It's just, yeah, he's, yeah. it's just not going, it, 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 he's got to, he's got to figure out his confidence right now yeah, um, and getting his head in, in the game. We, it, it, he's too important of a piece. It's fine against DePaul and St. John's. He's too big of a piece and too important to this team to not turn this, not turn this on in February. He has to, if this team wants to be the team that we think it could be, it has to come like Jermaine has to step up his game period. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think let's talk about some that some some Big East narratives here. Yeah, I, I brought up Seton Hall. I'm going to start with them. I, I did an analysis in 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 Kevin Willard's new Big East era. So since 2014, um, Seton Hall is under 500, under Kevin Willard. <coughs> Sorry, um, under 500, under Kevin Willard in the month of January. They are too good of a team. This is a team that's made the NCAA tournament several several times has had excellent players. And by the way, that under 500, I think it was 32, and I think it's 32 and 34. Okay. That under 500 includes in 2020 when they had their best team, probably one of their best teams, at least under Willard for sure. I mean, they made final fours in the early nineties, but under Willard, that their best team had Miles Powell in 2020. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that got COVID stopped uh, that season. They went seven and zero in January that year. Wow. So you take that wow. year out of it, right? And they're 25 and 34 in January. That's insane. That's absolutely great. outrageously bad. Yeah. And good. what do we see now? Seton Hall is three and six in Big East play, is ninth place in the conference right now. This is yeah. a team that was like top 15 that like that, like we said on this podcast, and I can still see it happening, but we said on this podcast had a chance to go sweet 16 elite eight. John Fanta was on this podcast and agreed with that take. Yeah. Like, like, and, and we were, we, we got the win. We're like, yeah, I could beat Seton Hall. Great win. Great win. It's just like, wheels have fallen off. Oh my really, God. Really now, bad. Now February has been, has been historically a better month than, than January for, for the hall. And Bryce Aiken is still coming back from, I believe a concussion. Um, so, so they're, they did, they, they are, they have been down a player. Um, but this, this team has to figure it out quickly. Uh, they cannot have a February like they did in January. Or they actually will miss the tournament. Yeah, I was going to say, you you follow that January with a similar month in February, like, see ya. Yeah, there's they're going to be out. No and, and, and it's going to cause a lot of frustration um, in South Orange. Yeah, it's very um, true. Yeah, so, so moving on to a team that had a much better January, uh, Marquette uh, had – if Seton Hall's January was no good and terrible, Marquette's January is extremely good and amazing. 
Yeah. Their last loss was Creighton on January 1st in double overtime. Now, at the time of this podcast, they're playing Providence today. Providence is, you know, this is a, um, a like a, a rock versus a hard place type of situation where some, something's got to give here um, between Providence and, and Marquette, two of the top teams in the conference. So, so this is, this is going to come to a head. Someone's going to pick up an L obviously. Yeah. Um, but they had seven consecutive wins leading up to today. Um, and, and they've looked apart. The they've gotten ranked. Um, they've looked good doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and so I think when we lost to them, I think there was like a thought process, man, that's, that's, and, and I still agree with it that you can't lose a game like that at home, yeah. but losing, to Marquette is not a bad loss, but it's, but it's the fact that we lost at home, but yeah. they look really good. They do. Yeah. We, we used to do like a, a hot or not. These guys are hot. Like they're uh, killing it. Some of the bracketologists have them as high as a five seed right now. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that would be an amazing first year. If they get into the storm with a five seed, it would be an amazing first year for Shaka Smart. The, uh, yeah. the Golden Eagle fan base is going to be jazzed about that finish, <laughs> but we'll see a lot of season left to play. We've seen um, Steve Wojciechowski start off hot in Big East play and absolutely fall apart. So January is a great place to start. It really matters what you do in February and then into early March to actually prove it out. So I, I agree, but they don't have Wojo behind, uh, behind the scenes true. anymore. But so. I think proving it out is a good transition to, do you want to talk about Providence? I think Providence, we got to talk about this. So this was kind of the news of the late part of this week. So Providence, as you remember, took a COVID pause um, earlier in January and missed several games. They missed specifically their game at Creighton, their game at Seton Hall, um, and their return game, uh, UConn at home. They had beaten UConn uh, and, and, and did so while UConn was down a couple players. They, had some, uh, they were still coming back from COVID, et cetera, whatever. Um, so, so they, but so they beat UConn at UConn. So now they were going to get UConn back. All three games got canceled. Um, and what came out this week is that instead of being just postponed, they were fully not going to get rescheduled. So, so Providence gets a massive schedule benefit because winning percentage is how you determine seating in the NCAA, um, in the Big East tournament. So, so as a result of that, Providence just sitting still on one loss their winning percentage is currently higher than Villanova, even though Villanova's got like two more wins in conference um, and only one more loss. Um, so it, it, it's very funny. And, and what's happened is this has gotten layered on to a national narrative about Providence. It's, it's especially in the Big East, but a national narrative about Providence that this is the luckiest team like ever. <laughs> and what I mean by that is they played Wisconsin without one of their best players. They played so many teams without their best players or like UConn, they had the situation where some players were out uh, and they've kind of had this happen like several times. And, and so they built this record up this, the metrics, the advanced metrics on Providence are not that great. Like you'd think that Providence would be um, that Providence at a 17 and two record would be top like yeah. top 20 in Ken Palm. No, they're like not even in the top 40 in Ken Palm. They have like a, a 55th ranked offense and a 55th ranked defense or something like yeah, that. It's not great. Uh, so, so like the advanced metrics say that Providence is actually not that good as a result of that, having a 17 and two record has this team per Ken Palm as literally the luckiest team in the country. That's insane. That's by metrics. Maybe it's strategic. Maybe this COVID pause was they looked at their schedule and said, ah, you know what? We don't really want to play these games. We're banking on them not getting rescheduled. <clears throat> I got the COVID. And they're like, they just called it off. So I'm just putting that conspiracy theory out there. Oh, you're not the first person to put the conspiracy theory out there. This is like a, a raging thing on Twitter because oh. like Seton Hall came back after their COVID, after a small COVID pause and basically played games and lost them with like down players. Yeah. And Providence basically took like two weeks off of their season yeah. and didn't play. Yeah. I mean, there's not like a, there's not a, a hard and fast rule about like what you do and don't do, which like taking this into other sports too, like um, I'm big soccer fans, like in the premier league, this has been a similar point of contention of like, some teams are basically saying like, Oh, we can't play just because like they're missing some of their best players. Other teams are fielding younger players and they're taking losses. So like, what is, 
what is the appropriate policy there? And because it's not defined, I guess there's a, there's a fair amount of leeway there. And I mean, on hey, Providence has taken advantage of it. On top of that, I did some research. And Providence is getting look at, whistled. Look at us doing research. Oh, I did so much sudden. research the past couple of weeks, both on Seton Hall and Providence in particular. Um, Big research guy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is this is actually real hard-hitting journalism from the full 40. <laughs> I looked at foul differential. I just wanted to get a get a get a vibe on this. And the reason why I did this actually was to prove a point. Opposing fans, and in particular, Providence fans, Seton Hall fans, and St. John's fans love to talk about Villanova getting a friendly whistle. Jay gets mm. all the calls. It's like, this is the new Duke, blah, 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 whatever. And I'm not going to lie. We get some benefit of the doubt sometimes. I don't mind it. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Guess what? You win a lot of games, you get the fucking benefit of the doubt. Too bad. I don't mind being the new Duke. Win more games. Win yeah. more games. How about that? Do better. How about that? Do better. Be, be better at basketball, and then maybe you'll get more respect. Totally. So I don't, I don't complain about this fact. But I've made a point to journalists, et cetera, who have pointed this out many times, this year is not that year to make this point. Villanova has had several games where they've been, um, where they've been on the bad side of officiating. Xavier comes to mind. Uh, a couple other games come to mind. And so this is not the year to make that point, and you're going to look like an idiot. And so some, like one writer, like I like him a lot, Zach Brazilier. Um, he covers St. John's. He's, he's a New York guy. Um, he's like making this point and I'm like, and he's like, you always, you always get the benefit of the doubt from the officials. I'm like, when you say always that take you less seriously when you say yeah. always, yeah, yeah. like, no, I you get the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes I feel like whatever, like fine, I could necessarily, I could kind of agree with that point, whatever. So I go and do this analysis to see what the foul differential is. Um, Cause it's not like really like the perfect stat for this, but it's as close as you can get to something that's tangible in conference Providence who are, just to be clear, the whiniest fans in the Big East by far, okay? The whiniest fans in the Big East. Providence has gotten three less fouls per game called on them than their opposition. That's best for second in the conference. In terms first? Of foul differential. Uh, Xavier, actually, um, which okay. kind of makes sense because uh, how many times have you been at second halves in the Senta Center? It's been a total ref show. So, um, so that makes sense to me. But, but Providence has gotten such a benefit from officiating on top of that. So narrative for Providence is that they are the luckiest team. And all the Big East fan bases on Twitter were just ragging on them uh, this week. And it was quite hilarious. I'm, I'm also like, I'm very much in the camp of Providence. It's all well and good in the regular season, but you got to show me something in the postseason. We've had this discussion numerous times. Ed Cooley's a great coach, yada, yada, yada. It does a lot with a little... But it still hasn't translated to really anything in the tournament. I think it does have the one Big East title, but when it comes to the NCAAs, really just hasn't made any noise. So, look, I hope they, you know, I hope they continue their run, not as good of a run as, as us, and we take the title, sure. But I really do hope they're able to put it together come tournament time. It will be nice for them to get a little bit of traction, but we'll see. Anyway. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Xavier. <laughs> Uh, their their wild uh, their wild week. Uh, so they went one on one this week, but both games featured them surrendering massive crazy, massive deficits, crazy games early in the games, and and then making roaring comebacks. Providence they didn't complete it. Providence is lucky. Um, and at Creighton they did complete it. The score at halftime versus Creighton um, was thirty six nineteen Creighton. The score about eight minutes into the second half was 38-36, Xavier. <laughs> it's un unreal. Unreal. If you look at the game chart for this, it's just Creighton just flat lines yeah. for 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I don't – I haven't seen anything like that in a while. It's, By the way, it's you want unreal. to talk about getting other teams' best shot. Like, where's the Creighton team that we play? Uh, no idea. That's – Creighton team seems long gone. Yeah. It's very strange. So, so that's kind of the biggies narratives. Look around uh, the conference. We're currently number two um, in conference, and UConn's number three. So the game this upcoming Saturday is enormous. Yeah. Um, doing some national. You want to do some national look around real quick, just to. You know, let's 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 do it real quick, and then we gotta we got like you said, we got some big games this week. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So a uh, number of top ten teams lost this week. Um, 
and a couple of teams did not lose, uh, very much did not lose this week. Um, Michigan State lost to Illinois. Uh, Baylor uh, lost to Jekyll and Hyde, Alabama. And I just want to pause in Alabama for a second. Alabama is the, so NC State in 2015, I know that's a really tough concept to talk about. Everyone doesn't like to hear it, but NC State was a team that had horrible, no good losses, just looked disinterested in playing and then beat Duke. And this was like the 2015 Duke team that ended up winning the national championship. And so this team, that that team was absolutely Jekyll and Hyde. Alabama reminds me of them. This is a team that has the talent to compete with everybody. They beat Gonzaga, Baylor, and Houston. So they have had some, a litany of top 10 wins and then have also lost to Georgia and Missouri. Like this team very, very is so Jekyll and Hyde. They they like just show up totally disinterested for games and then show up totally hyped for games. And it's totally different results. This team is going to make the NCAA tournament on the quality of wins, but it's going to get something like a 7, 8, 9, 10 seed and going to absolutely crush a 1 or a 2 seed in this tournament. Totally could. Totally could. So Without a doubt. Pointing that out, Javon Quinterly's Jekyll and Hyde Alabama team is definitely going to make noise in the NCAA, or they're going to lose in the first round. Uh, so it's just what's going to happen. Um, Arizona got the doors blown off at, by UCLA at Pauley Pavilion, um, which was another big result from this week. So, so some losses uh, this week, and then finally, um, perhaps the, the the exclamation point was Kentucky goes into Kansas yesterday and absolutely demolishes them at Allen Fieldhouse, which was a somewhat surprising result. I think the line was, um, you know, minus six for KU. So uh, Kentucky looked real good. Kentucky's going to find itself definitely in the top 10 this week. Um, and they're, they're looking good. The SEC in general is, is, having a, is having a good season. I think the Big 12 is the deepest conference, but the SEC looks seem to have the, the, highest, uh, the highest end, um, so to speak, in terms of talent. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I still don't think that one seat is going to happen. Uh, oh, oh, oh I, I get your point. Um, like, but other than Auburn and Gonzaga, who look absolutely poised for one seeds, the one line is still a mess, and there's like six, seven teams that could still get on the one line. Uh, it's 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 an absolute cluster, and teams are shuffling in and out, uh, left and right. Duke has won two games this week, but didn't look great doing either. They kind of like edged Clemson at home, and then um, and then barely beat Louisville at Louisville. And I guess we can talk, that's one national narrative that needs to be talked about is Chris Mack messed with happy in leaving Xavier and, uh, and is no longer the coach at Louisville uh, just a few short years Crazy. Uh, after taking the job, got them was ranked number one in the COVID season at one point in time. And uh, the, the fall from grace has been dramatic. And Very currently, fast. currently his Twitter said he's a retired coach. I have a theory that he is waiting for Travis Steele to work out and move on or not work out at Xavier and maybe go back. Maybe, maybe he'll take the Georgetown job when they fire Patrick Ewing at the end of the year. I mean, I wouldn't mind. Maybe he'll he'll actually do something and make some noise when uh, get Georgetown back to relevance. So real quick in terms of seating and where we stand in the bracketologies, it's kind of a hot mess because the top, like outside of those top two, the next 10 down is, is a real hot mess. Um, Lenardi has us as the 10th overall seed. Um, so the second best three seed, Jerry Palm has us as the 14th overall seed, which I think he's low on that. Um, uh, but, and the second best four seed, Mike DeCourcy has us as a three seed. He doesn't, he doesn't give the, the actual seed list in terms of rank. Um, and bracket matrix matrix has us eighth overall, the last two seed. Um, so, all of those, all of those uh, sources have seven Big East teams in the NCAA tournament still. Um, Creighton and Seton Hall currently being the weakest among them. Yeah. Um, the other five teams are very solidly in the bracket. No bubble talk of those other five teams. Um, Net, so, we're still fifth as of last night. I, I, don't, I haven't checked it uh, today. Ken Palm was eighth. Um, and then we'll see what happens in the AP and coaches uh, tomorrow. Fair enough. All right. Let's talk about the week to come. And let's do it. We previewed this and said we got to get into it. We didn't talk awards, though. 
Oh, just real quick then. We're getting really bad at this award. Uh, Shaq fit man player of the week comes down to got to come down to two players. It's got to come down to Colin or Eric, in my opinion. Colin was the leading scorer this week. Eric was very efficient. Um, Had 11 and 10 versus DePaul and 15 and seven uh, yesterday in 17 minutes of play. It's a highly efficient uh, output. So what do you think? I'm giving mine. I think we've danced around it a few times. I'm giving mine to Eric, just a solid, solid week. Um, both games, just the consistency is absolutely there. And that step up for me is huge. Funnily enough, funnily, I don't think that's a word. The Fox announcers the other day made the comment that Villanova does not have an alpha player on the team. And I was like, well, w- we give an award every week that is literally named the alpha dog. So you're clearly incorrect. And obviously they don't listen to the podcast. Big mistake. <laughs> anyway, Eric Dixon gets my nod hat tip to Eric, the continued improvement, the consistency doing it two games this week. Doesn't matter the competition level. He gets it for me. I am. I have skirted giving the award to Colin quite a bit this year. And I think this week I have to give it to Colin. Okay. So yeah. that, that, that's where I'm at. We reversed from last week. Two of us. In Shaq Fit Man Play of the Week news, there wasn't really like a big like dunk play or a big like high athlete, like high octane play uh, this week that I can think of. So it's going to go down to, to me, it comes down to like a hustle play. Mm. Um, Colin saving the ball from out of bounds was uh, a pretty good hustle play yesterday in yesterday's game. Slater like, also saved one too, although I think that ball went out. <laughs> I liked uh, I like Justin's track down block from behind yesterday. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Actually, you know what? That's it. Yeah, I think that was a little bit more momentum wise. So that's I think that gets it. I pass the fucking ball award of the week. I'm giving it Antoine's injuries because. Like enough going on here. It's yeah, it's really ridiculous. Enough, enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not really a bad thing. I struggle to pick out a bad thing this week, like we talked. And then I'm giving a special award this week called the "Don't Pass the Fucking Ball" award of the week, and that goes to Jermaine Samuel. Step the fuck up. It's Jermaineuary. Let's go. God, let's go, Jermaine. Truth. Maybe actually, technically, maybe he should get the award. I've done too much of your bidding on this podcast, and it's time to prove me right. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Preview time. We bring, we play the comeback game against Marquette and I'll tee you up. We have gotten swept twice in biggies in new biggies conference history, once against Creighton and once against Butler. This has happened twice in eight, nine years of conference play. This is not the time, not the time. This is, this is not, it's not going to happen. Not the time for it to happen. Okay. It, It will not happen again. It's not going to happen. We're winning against Marquette on Wednesday. Okay. Yes. You've heard it here first. I don't care that we're a Pfizer forum. I don't give a shit. We lose that game on Wednesday night all the time, like in the past. We're not losing it this year. No. We're going to come back. We got, we had, we shot like shit in that game the last time. They shot their lights out. Like we played them. We played them. We played terrible against them uh, the last time. It's not going to happen again. We've gotten our confidence back shooting wise. We are beating Marquette at Pfizer Forum this time around, period. Yeah, I, I think for me, it comes down, it's as simple as team looks, we've righted a few things, and the simple fact that you led with, the fact that we've only been swept twice in all of New Big East play is enough. for. And one of those was the Creighton, where we got absolutely Creightoned, the Creightoning, if you will. And this team, this Marquette team, is not that Creighton team. So this one, to me, is definitely a win. Jay and the coaching staff and the players are not going to be surprised as much. They kind of know what to expect. I think the Marquette at that point was a little bit more under the radar. They are not under the radar. We will not be looking past Marquette like we may have been a bit previously. So this one definitely a win for us, I think. Even though crazy late start time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Good God. I don't know how I'm staying away. Probably not. Probably not. I'll watch it on replay. So, so look, I, I think we're going to get this done. I really do. Ken Palm has us as four-point favorites. Um, they, they've been going off lately. Justin Lewis went absolutely bananas against Seton Hall. One of the best stat lines ever. Um, like 30-plus points, nine reborn, rebounds, seven assists. Like a crazy good stat line. Uh, this is not happening this time. It's yeah. not. It's just not going to happen. I, I am convinced that this team is going to – our team is going to come out – flaming hot and is going to put them away and also by the way we are due 
we are due to demolish a good team in the Big East and really like make a statement victory. That's true. I think this is a chance to be it. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's one. The big one on Saturday, number two versus number three in the conference, UConn Villanova. This is what this is why you bring UConn back into your conference. Totally. Okay. This this game, this game is why you do it. You got UConn and Villanova at the Wells Fargo Center, two ranked opponents gonna go head to head and figure out who's actually the better team. And so I, I love this. I love this game. And clash of styles to a certain degree. Uh, I really like UConn as a team. Um, I know I said that last year. I liked them more this year than I did last year, um, even though Book Knight left. But th- this team's awesome, and it's keyed by two main players. Adama Sanogo is one of the best big men in the country. And he's not, he's unlike a lot of players that we've seen um, in, in a while in the, in the Big East. He's a 6'9", 240 guy, an absolute load athletic. He's averaging 16 and 8 a game. He had a streak of like double doubles um, on, on the season for a while. This guy's, this guy's a tough test uh, for Eric Dixon down low. Um, Eric Dixon's like, you know, they got that, that, that wide body. Um, I was going to say like, similar physical profile. Obviously, Dixon similar, doesn't, have, doesn't have speed to, to kind of keep up. but Similar physical profile, but Sonogo's bigger. Um, yeah. So, so th- this is a really – he's really good, and he's not, even a, he's not even close to the top of his um, capability level. So, uh, so this guy's definitely a big guy to watch out for. And then R.J. Cole stirs the drink mm-hmm. um, uh, for UConn. the drink. He is, he is their guard. He kind of is their do-everything guy. Not, not an elite three-point shooter, but just a guy who just makes everything happen for this team. Tough, um, you know, good ball handler, um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I just love the way he plays, just like a hard-headed guy. This is a guy you could see, like, being a, a, a Villanova guy. Like, <laughs> just the way he plays. Yeah. And then um, Martin, Polly, and Jackson are their three-point shooters. Um, Tyrese Martin, Tyler Polly, and Andre Jackson are their three-point shooters, uh, you know, to, to, to look out for. This team will shoot the three. Uh, they like to shoot the three ball. Um but they, they, this is a big, tall, athletic team. This is this is a this is a tough matchup for the Cats. Yeah. Um, and then, unlike some UConn teams of the past, um, when I felt like they could be a little bit like lackadaisical and try and beat you just with overwhelm you with talent, these teams are dogs. This team's a, this team this team like gets after you. Um, they love to hold you to low 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 scoring output. Um, I just really liked the way they kind of like fight you out, um, and, and they and they love to get into a rock fight and they're very comfortable in that atmosphere. The one thing with UConn is their fans love to point out only one of our losses. Anyway, they beat Auburn. Um, so that's, that's obviously their Auburn's lone um, loss on the season. And they love to point out that they only one of their losses so far this year have come at full strength. The problem with that argument is that, is that they have been, um, they haven't blown anybody out. They haven't really like made like a good team look bad. And, yeah. and so, and so even if, even against weaker competition, I kind of play down to the weaker competition. I just don't really like, they, they haven't given me that vibe of like, Hey, we're, we're always going to be this good yeah. night in night out. Now we're going to get their best shot because we always get everybody's best shot. And this is like a hyped game going into it. This is totally. like game of the year so far in the conference, but, um, but they are fans argue that they're underrated. Their fans argue that they're underrated. Uh, I can see the argument going both ways there. Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough for me. I was looking through their, their record and I was like, Oh, they haven't beaten anybody. And I was like, Oh no, you beat Auburn. Like that's a, obviously a very good win. They've got a couple, couple interesting wins. They haven't played anybody really. They haven't done all that much notable of late. Their last good notable win was back Marquette in December of December 21st. So it's been a while, like recent wins, DePaul, Georgetown, Butler, Butler, St. John's like, uh, you know, I don't know. We're, we're their first test in a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how this, how this plays out for me. Um, you know, I hope at home that we're going to be able to get this done. I think we will, but, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I think at home we do get it done. Um, I, but I expect this to be a war. Um, they, they, they play a comfortable tempo for us uh, to a large degree. But I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a, a tough game because they're long and athletic, and we struggle with teams like that. That being said, at home, I think we get this done. I think we split with UConn this year. 
Um, I think we lose at the Excel Center. Um, I said earlier on, on an earlier podcast that we're playing at Gamble. We're not. We're playing at the Excel Center in Harvard. Mm. So score predictions. What do you got? Oh, I don't know. Um, let's see. I think we're going 2-0 this week. I think the UConn game, I don't know, maybe a low-scoring one. I'll call it like maybe we get out 70-64, something like that. I, I, that's, that's not a bad guess. I'm going with 63-57. I think it's going to be a oh, really wow. low-scoring Real low game. This is going to be an absolute rock fight um, from the that get-go. Is, I'd be is... surprised if this turns into an offensive like. Yeah a high paced offensive game these teams just don't play that way um they'll look to get out and transition much more than we do um and so if if the game gets high scoring it's going to be to their benefit i think um unless we're just you know drilling threes but yeah other than that i, I think there's going to be a low scoring game and i think we win it at the wells fargo center yeah cool that's it that's all we got for today love it all right everybody Exciting week yeah big week big week Look out for us on social media at the full 40. We'll be, we'll be in touch because we might be going to the, this UConn game this upcoming weekend. Um, as always, check us out on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube if you want to watch it. That's true. Uh, and so uh, really appreciate everyone listening. Looking forward to an excellent and exciting February. Thanks for listening. And as always, let's go Nova.